Our series breakout is about something in very specific terms. When you look at the Bible and you read the Bible, one of the things that stands out is that the people of God from the Old Testament all the way through the church age rarely ever get it. That's the one thing that I, I, I just read over and over again. And what I find unusual about that is if you grew up in church like I did, you can almost get the idea that the people in the Bible, the characters in the Bibles, Bible almost had halos on their heads and they floated on clouds. But the truth is, there's almost no generation in the Bible where they consistently lived out their whole lives in an overcoming way for God. But there is one generation, one very special generation in the Old Testament where God's people got it right, not only for their generation, but really half of the next generation. And so I love studying them. It's one of the reasons why one of my favorite books of the Bible is the book of Joshua. And so in our series Breakout, we're exploring the breakout generation. What caused them to break out? How they took their first steps? Next week, we're going to see what happens when they experience a setback, how they get up, dust off their pants, and get on the, stay on the journey, and then go on to destiny. And in the, in the book of Joshua, we read about that. And that's where we are right now. We're right in the middle of that series. It all began, though, back in the book of Numbers at a cut point where we saw Generation Zombie and Generation Breakout separate from each other. It happened when Moses, leading the people of Israel out of Egypt, came to a place called Kadesh Barnea, which was a little town right on the border of where they had been and where they were going. God had been promising the Jewish people for, for 400 years that they were going to have their own homeland, that God was going to give it to them. He made the promise to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, his descendants, all the way through for the hundreds of years when the Jewish people were slaves in Egypt. And by this point, God had already gotten them out of Egypt. If you've read the Bible or seen the movie, you know the story how that God sent Pharaoh ten deals he couldn't refuse. And out of that, God got his people out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, into the Promised Land. He had fed them for months, supernaturally given them water out of the rock, and brought them right up to the brink of Canaan, the place he had promised them. But it was at that place where everything fell apart, and we met Generation Zombie for the first time. See, Moses sent 12 spies over into Canaan to do a reconnaissance and come back and give a report. And the 12 spies came back, we saw in week one, and they agreed on three material facts. That yes, indeed, it was a good land, that there was produce there that was almost unimaginable, but there were giants in the land. It was on this third point that the zombies decided that God was wrong. After 400 years of God saying he was going to give them the land, 10 of the spies came back and said, we believe God is wrong. And that discouragement, no, you know how discouragement works. It, it spread like cancer, or not cancer doesn't spread that way. I guess it spread like an epidemic. That would be the more correct thing to say. And the people decided they didn't want to go into Canaan. And God said, all right, <clears throat> everybody over the age of 20 is going to wander around in the wilderness until you die. That became generation zombie. They were the walking dead. For 38 years, they would walk around in the wilderness until there were enough graves for all those people to die. And God said, everybody under 20, all those kids you were worried about if you went into the land, I'm going to take them into the land. And oh, by the way, there are two more guys I want to take with me, even though they may be older at that point. Joshua and Caleb, the two spies who came back and said, yep, there are giants there, but we believe, we believe God is right. God said, However old they are, it doesn't matter. They're going to go into the land. And so that's where we are right now. This is going to be the shortest of all the messages in the series, and, and partially because we've had a wonderful celebration of baptism today, and we wanted to take plenty of time for that. But there's another reason why this should be a relatively short message. It's a simple thought, and I really don't need to talk past the point. 
You see, there's an irony. What we've been discussing, and you and I both know that we're, we're in a different situation than these God followers. This was 3,000 years ago. It was God's, God's thing for them to leave the wilderness and go into the promised land. That's not our issue. We live in 2015 in southern Kansas, most of us. Or if you're watching online, you may live any place in the world. But we're living where we're living in 2015. And it's not about getting out of a wilderness and going into a, 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 a land. Uh, we're in different situations. And we understand the metaphorical analysis of this story that we're reading, but we know that there's an application for you and me. Really, here's what we're talking about. We're talking about going on a journey with God, going where God wants us to go with God. There's an application for us in this world, and there's an application for the world to come. When you decide to go on God's journey, and you heard a lot of people, your brothers and sisters who were baptized, talk about this. When you go on God's journey, good things begin to happen. You sync up with God, and your life begins to sync up with God's purpose. That doesn't mean you're not going to get sick or have problems. All of us have issues in life, but there's a difference between going on a journey with God and going on your own journey. When you sync up with God, good things happen. If I were single today, I would want to like submit my life to God's journey because my chances of finding the right person are greatly enhanced if I'm on God's journey. God will help you meet the right people. He will open right doors. He will give you special opportunities. You will have a sense of fulfillment in life that you really are living out your purpose when you're on God's journey. That's the application in this life. But you and I are not going to live here forever. I mean, I, I know if you're 20 years old, that may come as a revelation. <clears throat> but for the rest of us who have a few years on us, uh, life has a way of telling us that we're not going to be here forever. And my shingles are thinning on the roof. And I'm just a little creaky when I wake up in the morning. That is just God's way of saying, hey, Mark, you're not going to be here forever. Well, here's the thing. <clears throat> I can say I see you today, but I don't see you. I see the tent you live in. I see your body. That part of you is temporary. The real you is eternal. That part of you that lives, loves, thinks, cares, feels, that part of you is eternal. That's why when people have near-death experiences, they see lights, and they, they see themselves going down a long hallway. Why is that? It's because the real you is never going to die. And so here's the thing. You not only want to go on a journey with God to where He takes you where you need to go in this life, you want to go on the journey with God when you open your eyes after you die, the first touch you feel is the hand of Jesus, and you're in eternal life in heaven. So how does that happen? Now we'll talk about that in just a moment. Well, my whole talk is built around an irony. You know, when you go back to what happened at Kadesh Barnea with the Israelites, you know what I find, out, what I find kind of interesting? There were a million people who should have gone on the journey who didn't. They had every reason to go. They were in a covenant relationship with God. It was their land. God had promised it to them. And, and God had taken care of them and done supernatural things for them. There were a million people who should have gone who didn't. And yet, when I read the story of Rahab, I see the last person in the world who should have gone. And yes, she did. And after being a believer for many years and pastoring for 38 years, I never cease to be amazed at people who should go on God's journey. They have a million reasons to go, and they don't. Maybe they grew up in a family of faith. Maybe they're exposed to a great church like New Spring. Maybe God's done wonderful things in their lives. They have every reason to go, and yet they choke at moments of destinies and decide not to go. And yet, being leader here at New Spring, I get to meet so many people who walk into this church as rock-ribbed atheists. Maybe they've never had faith in their life. They, they think that God's a fraud and churches are a fraud, but they come here anyway for some reason. And I watch as God begins to work in their lives, and I see them as they take their first steps of faith. And before long, they have faith that puts mine to shame. I'm always amazed at who should go and doesn't, and who 
all reason. You wouldn't think they should go, but they go. That's all I'm going to talk about, and we'll be through with this talk. Well, it all starts when Joshua now, he's leading the breakout generation. They're about to take Jericho, and as we talked about this last week, when, they, when the Israelites go into Canaan, it's not like they're going to have a graded series of battles, you know, going from easy to hard. They have to deal with the hardest battle right up front. Jericho is untakeable, at least in the eyes of the ancient world. Had a series of walls. Outside wall was four stories high. There was a nine-acre embankment that rose to another wall that was ten stories high. So people of Jericho never worried about being invaded. If anybody ever made it over the first wall, they'd never make it over the second wall. And should I mention also that the Chile Jordan River was there as a border as well. People of Jericho thought nobody can ever touch us. So that's where the Israelites are. First place they're going to have to take is Jericho. And Joshua and all his troops are situated outside the Jordan River. And he sends two spies swimming across the, the, the cold Jordan River to go into Jericho to spy out the land. In the place, in Jericho, is a woman named Rahab. She's a Jerichoite or a Jerichoian or whatever they called themselves back in those days. And the whole city's going down. I mean, historians tell us that the Canaanites were the worst people in the world. I mean, their practices were so bizarre and twisted. I don't even want to think about it, much less tell you about it. So this whole city's going down. And, and Rahab lives in Jericho. Now, a couple things you should know about her as we explore Rahab's past. Rahab uh, has a lot of things going for her. She's got money. Uh, historians believe that Rahab had her own designer line of clothes. And they were, they were scarlet. See, back in the day, dye was more expensive than anything else. So if you wore scarlet, you, were, you, you had it going on. And so they believe that Rahab had her own line of designer clothes. She had her own money, and because of that, she had a prime piece of real estate. She had a house in the wall, which would be like having a home in the, in the Hollywood Hills. So she had that going for her. But tradition also tells us, she, she tells us that she was one of the four most beautiful women in the world. I don't know how they knew that. Maybe they had a Miss World competition. Jericho uh, and Rachel was, or Rahab was Miss Jericho. I don't know. I just know they say she was one of the four most beautiful women in the world. She's got money. She's got looks. She's got her own business. Man, got it happening. Rahab's got one more business that you should know about. The Bible tells us this in the book of Joshua, chapter 2, verse 1. They entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab. Now you got to understand that in, in Jericho, there was nothing wrong with being a prostitute. It's like, it's like Vegas, you know? I mean, this is a town where you can have sex with anybody you want to have sex with. They didn't think Rahab was bad. They just thought Rahab was a good businesswoman. But she sold her body for money and probably had a business of selling her body for money. And beyond that, in those days, uh, brothels were also, also doubled as inns. So she probably had a hotel there. She, she just had a whole lot of business happening. Now, by the world's standards today, if we were to get back into the customs of Jericho, we would think that Rahab was a success. I mean, she's young, she's beautiful, she's rich, she's on the cover of Victoria's Secret Catalog. I mean, she's, she is, she's the it woman, as they used to say. But she's miserable. You know, isn't it strange? When you're young and you don't have anything, you think if you get something, it'll make you happy. You know, if I get a particular car, it'll make me happy. You know, if I, if I, if I ever make $100,000 a year, I'm just going to be so happy. But how many of you have long since passed those milestones and it hasn't made you happy? You're still dry and you're still thirsty and you're still hungry for what life is all about and you're wondering, what am I living for? That's Rahab's past. 
So the two spies, when they go into the land, and you've you got to understand, get into their mindset for a second, because they're a couple of Jewish guys. They're about to go into Jericho. They don't want to stand out. Where would you go if you didn't want to stand out, if you were strangers in town? Well, you would go to the house of the rising sun. I just want to see if we have any baby boomers here today. <clears throat> so they go, to, they, go to Ra- they go to Rahab's place, and not to engage her services, but just to stay there for the night and not stand out. What they don't know, what they could never have known, was that there is a change going on in the heart and the life of Rahab. I want to talk to you for a few moments about Rahab's change. Uh, can I give you a little history first that will help, help you understand what's going on in her mind? See, 40 years before the spies go into Rahab's place, the Jewish people, God had opened the Red Sea for them. They went across and then Pharaoh's army chased them. And when Pharaoh's army got into the Red Sea bed, God closed it and killed them. And the people of Jericho heard about this and it freaked them out. <clears throat> I don't think I'll tell the other services about this, but this is interesting to me. Isn't it something that the zombies were scared of the giants in Canaan all the time? The giants in Canaan were scared of the Israelites' God. Just, that's free. But it's true. <clears throat> The only thing that freaked the people of Jericho out more than hearing about the Israelites crossing the Red Sea was that everything went quiet for 40 years. You and I know what happened. But the people of Jericho were thinking, what's up with that? They didn't go back to Egypt. Where are they? They've got to be out there somewhere in the wilderness, but we never hear anything from them. But now... 38 years have passed, and the people of Jericho hear that the Israelites are on the march again. And not only are they on the march, man, the armies that are in between them and Jericho are falling like dominoes. And the people of Jericho are thinking, wow, we're in trouble. Except all the people in Jericho said, you know what? We're going to be okay. We got walls. We've got walls. We're going to be fine with the walls. But Rahab's no ordinary person. She's a smart gal. She's a businesswoman. She's a thinker. She's a strategic thinker. You don't build a business like Rahab built if you're not a strategic thinker. And her strategic thinking is kicking in, and it's beginning to have a spiritual dimension because Rahab is doing the internal calculus that goes something like this. She's saying, you know what? If their God can open a Red Sea and let them get across and close it again, and if their God can keep them alive in a desert for 40 years... He will have no problem with our walls. And something started going on in the heart, in the mind of a prostitute that said something like this. I want to change sides. I want to switch teams. I want to go over to the other locker room at halftime, and I want to put on one of their jerseys. I want to change sides. Now, just so you'll know I'm not making all this up, let me read it to you out of the Bible. In Joshua chapter 2, verse 8, the Bible says, Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We're all afraid of you. Everybody in the land is living in terror. We've heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to the armies on the way. No wonder our hearts melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Well, now what's interesting about this was the Jewish people was the only monotheistic religion in the world at this time. All the other pagan religions were polytheistic. Notice how that Rahab is clicked with that. She didn't say, hey, you, your bag of gods must be better than our bag of gods. 
She said, the Lord your God, Jehovah, he is the true God. He's the supreme God. Now swear to me by the Lord that you'll be kind to me. That's a request for grace. That's cool. And my family, since I have helped you. Well, I want to talk to you for a few moments about four components of Rahab's change because they're the same things that you and I need if we're going to join God's journey. And I find it really interesting because Rahab's the last person in the world we think would go on God's journey, and yet she did. So what are the four things that Rahab had to process or understand or do before she could have a relationship with God, the true God? Well, here's the first one, hearing. Listen to what Rahab said. We have heard how the Lord made a path for you. Well, that may not sound a whole lot like a whole lot to you, but you have to realize that when Paul is writing in Romans 10, and, he, and this is the salvation chapter of the Bible, when Paul is explaining to us how we have a relationship with God, it's as if he almost quotes Rahab. In Romans 10, 17, which is a verse of the Bible that I think about almost every week before I do my job, the Bible says, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing the good news, the good message about Jesus Christ, who according to himself is the path or the way to heaven. Did you hear what Rahab said? We've heard how God made a path for you. That's number one. Number two. Number two is believing. You know, you can hear the good news, and you're doing it here today. You've come to New Spring in this fourth or five weekend services, or you're watching online or watching in television, and you're hearing. If you're here in this building, you've chosen not to go to the fair of one of the most beautiful days of the year. So you made a choice to be here today. You're hearing. But what are you going to do with that? Because you could hear it and you say, I don't agree. The second thing is believing. Rahab said, the Lord your God is the supreme God of heavens above and earth below. She, said, I'm, she didn't say I'm kicking this around and I'm sorting it out and I'm thinking it through. She just said, look, I, I, I've come to the conclusion, your God's the true God. I believe. I've heard. I believe. But here's the third thing. There's got to be a way. Agreed? How, how does a... How does a, a how does the Jericho madam have a relationship with the God of Je Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? How does, it, how does a Jericho prostitute get into God's family? How does she pay? Let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. How's she going to pay for a thousand nights with a thousand different Johns? How's she going to make it right? Wouldn't you agree there, there's got to be a way? We want to know. Because although you may not be the Jericho madam, and even though you may not have the same sins that Rahab had, but you and I have our own stuff, don't we? How are we going to make it right? I mean, it's one thing to hear about God, and it's one thing to hear that Jesus is God's son. It's another thing to believe it intellectually and say, yeah, I agree with that. But wouldn't you agree there's got to be a way? And how many of us have come from religion, and religion was only too glad to tell us the way? Join our church, go through these hoops, learn these rules, learn this, learn, learn this Q&A, you go through this, and it's like, this is the way, and after a while you're saying, God, I don't know. Or maybe you were taught that you had to live a particular kind of life, and you tried it, and you, and you fell, and you thought, well, I'll just never have God's way. And beyond that, I still have all the guilt and the shame for all the screw-ups that I did do and still do. What are they going to tell Rahab? Because Rahab said, I want grace. I want you to, be, I want you to spare my life. Listen, the spies say we will be bound. In other words, we will save your life and we'll be bound to do it. Only if you follow these instructions. She's going to get the path. 
when we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging in your window. How you guys are smart. You're bright, you're quick. You hear anything there about her past? You hear him say to her, uh, gosh, you know, we'd love to help you, rape her, but my soul, you're a, you're a prostitute. You know, you, can you at least just make a list of all the guys you've been with and, you know, and, 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 and say a bunch of formulas or do something? Do you see them say, Rahab, listen, I'm sorry, we'd love to help you, but just, gosh, we can't do anything for you? No. Hang a scarlet thread. I mean, and here's the thing. You've got to realize, these are Jewish guys. And I don't know. I don't know how old they are. Were they around for the first Passover? Were they children? I don't know. But that's what they were thinking. Because you see, when Israel was leaving Egypt, on the last night they would be there, God gave them a thing to do. He said the death angel is going to come and take the firstborn out of every family. But he said, if there is blood on the doorpost of the house, the death angel will pass over. And that's a very sacred holiday. And the Jewish people still celebrate it to this day. It is a day of saying, listen, we believe God's protection is on us because of the blood. And of course, when the guys looked around the room, there, there was no blood there to put on the doorpost. They just saw a scrap from Rahab's designer clothes, the scarlet, they said, if you'll put that on the window, it was just like the Passover that the Jewish people celebrate every year. They said, you'll be safe. Well, here we are 3,000 years later, and we understand that God gave in the old covenant a symbol of what would ultimately happen, that ultimately God would send his Savior into the world, that God himself would come. God would come in the form of his son, Jesus, human and God at the same time. And for 33 years, he would run the table and live the life that you and I can't live. He would live that perfect life. And then he would take that perfect life and lay it down on a Roman cross. And they would nail nails into his hands and feet and thorns into his head. And for six hours, Jesus would suffer the excruciating death of the cross. And the way God saw it, according to Isaiah 55, 11, the blood that came out of Jesus' body was a currency that God recognized as a payment for all our sins. And so that God can say to you and me, even though we have many sins, I have a deal on the table right now. I have a deal that if you will come just as you are, flawed, broken, and spiritually bankrupt. See, our problem is we don't want to come spiritually bankrupt. We know we've got flaws, but we want to bring God our resume and say, but God, I'm still pretty good. What you have to understand, that would be tantamount to President Obama inviting you to a state dinner at the White House and you showing up with all those glistening White House dishes and elegant meals and people dressed in evening wear, and it would be like you showing up with a Tupperware of cold pork and beans saying, you guys need this. That's what it's like for you and me to try to bring our resume to God and say, God, I'm pretty good. You need to accept me. God wants you to come spiritually bankrupt, broken, flawed, sinner. And, and again, he doesn't say anything about our past and all the things that we've done wrong. He just says, come as you are. And if you will receive my son, if you'll receive him, if you'll accept him as your Lord and your Savior, if you'll let him be your substitute, if you'll let him pinch hit for you, and pinch run for you. If you'll, let him, if you'll let him be your savior, your champion, God says, I'll forgive you and wash your sins away, and I'll adopt you into the family. Well, I said there are four things, because here's the thing. A lot of people get right up to this point, and they choke. It's like they hear the message, and they believe it intellectually, and they know that a way has been made for them, but they never get to number four, and that's decision. You know, <laughs> I love the Bible, and as a God follower and as a pastor, I'm in it every day. 
And one of the things that I love is that when people accept Christ, they make a decision for God, the statement that they make at decision point is a little different. Like the thief on the cross. I mean, think about it. I mean, we're talking about people who should go, like Judas. I mean, after all, he was with Jesus three years and heard every sermon and saw every miracle. You would think Judas should go, but he's in hell right now. The last person in the world you would think could go on the journey with God is a thief who's dying on the cross who says he deserves to die on a cross. That's a bad dude who really only has a few minutes left to live. He's the last person in the world you would think could go on a journey with God. But remember what he said? He looked at Jesus and said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. That's all he said. There are people, all he said was, I believe. They said was, I believe. But you know what? I think I like Rahab's statement better than anybody's. At the point of decision, Rahab said four words in English. I accept your terms. You know, that's what God's looking for. He's not looking for you to make a way to go to heaven. You can't. He's not looking for you to join a religion. He's just looking for you to hear the good news of the offer he's made you and for you to say, I accept your terms. I accept your terms. And that's how a Canaanite prostitute joined the people of God. I love reading a particular verse of Joshua. It caused me to get excited. I can't sit down when I read it, so I may as well stand up. Joshua 6.25, so Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies. Joshua sent to Jericho, and this is the part I love. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. She's among God's people to this day. How many of us here today, we were the last people we thought God could ever save. We had so much brokenness and screw up in our life, we thought we could never go on a journey of God, and yet here we are. We are with God's people. We're on the journey. We're on the road. And it's like, I didn't think I could do it. And I, I can't even, and to this day, I don't know why God would let me join. But he made me a deal, and I accepted his terms, and I remain among God's people to this day, and I will for not, the rest of my life and forever. Hey, but guys, Rahab didn't just break out. She broke loose. I mean, here's the thing you got to know. This gal didn't just become among the people of God. She became a legend. I'd love to talk about this. She wound up marrying one of the spies. That's a cool story within itself. You know, I'm sure he went over to her house and said, Rahab, it's really good to have you here. I know there's a lot of things that we Jewish people do. going to be a little peculiar, but I'd be glad to come over and give you some coaching. Men have never changed. I mean, they've been the same all along, right? <laughs> but it worked. And she married, she married him, and, and it wasn't long before they had a great-grandson who sat on the throne of Israel as King David. Hey, can you imagine that? The Jericho madam, the great-grandmother of the greatest Jewish king who ever lived. And you get over there in Matthew and Luke, and you start reading the genealogies of Jesus, the Son of God, Savior of the world. And you start looking back, and you'll find the name of a woman named Rahab in the family tree of Jesus. And it's not just that, because when you go to Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible gives us the Hall of Fame. Well, it's the Canton for God followers. And you start reading that Hall of Fame, and you'll notice the names of only two women in the Hall of Fame. One is Sarah. We're not surprised at her. She's the wife of Abraham and the mother of the Jewish people. 
mother of people of faith. The other woman, well, let's read it. Hebrews 31, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Guys, if there's room in the family of God for a Canaanite prostitute, there's room for you. And if there's room in the Hall of Fame for the Jericho Madam, there's room for you. There's nobody here who shouldn't go on God's journey. It breaks my heart to think that there are a lot of people who should go. You've had every reason in the world to go. Some of your parents taught you about God. You've been in a great church. You've been in America where you almost have to avoid the gospel. I mean, you've been in so many good situations. You've been to church camps, and, you, and here's the thing. You can beat all your friends at Bible trivia with all kinds of stuff. You even sing the songs, and you know the words. But it scares me to death when I talk to some of you because I just have this awful sense that you don't get it. I mean, you've been in church for years, but you still don't know who Jesus is. It freaks me out. It keeps me up at night. And on the other hand, I'll see people walk in here who've never been in church in their lives, and they barely know anything about God, but it's like, Boom, when they hear it, it's like a bass strike in the lure. I mean, they just like, yeah, sign me up. It always amazes me who should go and who doesn't. And the last people in the world you would think would go, go. Am I talking to somebody here today? And the light just came on. Somewhere in this message, the light came on. And you realize it's not religion. I don't have to join a religion. I don't have to go through a bunch of hoops and all that stuff I've done and all those patches I have on my arm that I earned in Sunday school. They're not going to get me there. Or it could be that you're here today you say, I just, I just came here because I got a friend who's being baptized and I'm just supporting her and I, don't, I think all churches are nuts. Well, a lot of them are. <laughs> and New Springs got her own kind of quirkiness. But you're here today and you're saying, you know what? It clicked for me. And I may not be able to be good. I may not, I definitely am not able to be perfect. But God, I accept your terms. I don't want to leave today without giving you a chance to join the trip, to join the journey. I'm going to pray a prayer. These aren't magic words. You can say your own words if you want to. But I'm going to pray a prayer slowly so that you can hear it and you can decide whether you want to say these things to God. If you want to own them personally. It's just a prayer that says I accept your terms, okay? If you want to have a relationship with God, why don't you join me in this prayer? Here we go. Dear God, I am a sinner. No doubt about it. I'm flawed and I'm spiritually bankrupt. I'm not going to try to bring cold pork and beans to your feast. I'm coming just as I am. But I've heard that Jesus died for my sins. I've heard he arose from the grave. And I believe. You say you offer me forgiveness and everlasting life. If I will turn from my old way and trust you. I accept your terms. I accept your terms. Thank you for forgiving me and making me God's child. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer with me, you can say, Mark, I'm not sure what happened to me. 
Well, Lot did, because not because of you praying, but because of the God who's on the other end. I have a gift I want to give you. I know we're crowded, but don't leave without getting this. It's a packet. Go back to guest services right out in the middle of the lobby. There's a little one back by the coffee shop. It's got a DVD, a book that's about the size that somebody with ADD would write, and it answers a lot of questions. So, and there's a coupon for a new Bible. All you got to do is bring your talk to us card back there and say, I pray with Mark. That's all you got to say. They want to ask you a stalker. They want to give you a packet. They want to give you a gift. Please come get it. Thanks for being here. See you next weekend.